a moment of personal privilege. As our choir was singing, I was thinking to myself how I wish God had given me a gift to be able to sing. He's the giver of gifts, and some of you have that gift. I've noticed a lot of you sing very well. I want to encourage you to consider Thursday night at 7 o'clock making a new commitment in coming to our choir practice. Give serious thought to it. Those of you who have the gift to sing, when you use it for the Lord, you bless others and you're blessed. So give some thought to that. A second personal privilege. It's a big world you and I live in. And guess what? God's put us together. And Linda and I are very thankful to be with you all. Pray for us. Pray for our church. Pray that God would just have his way with us. And that'll just be fine. Amen? Let's talk to the Lord together. Father, I know when we come together and we start to pray, there's some who've been in prayer this morning for our worship and our Sunday school hour. I know there are others, Lord, who diligently during the week and particularly this weekend have prayed for this day of worship. I also know, Lord, that when we come together, there are some who've not talked to you in a while. The good news is, Lord, you hear us when we come through Jesus to talk with you. So bundle our hearts together, Father. Make our minds very alert. Thank you, Father, for letting us be here. Thank you for loving us so much that you would invest in us your Son, Jesus the Christ, your Holy Spirit, for giving us your word and for fanning that word through the power of your Spirit that we might get to know you better and come closer to you. Thank you, Father, that you haven't gotten tired of our failures and our shortcomings while I know you're not pleased with them. Thank you that you don't throw us aside, but instead you continue to invest in us and encourage us. Thank you, dear God, that you've got a plan for our life and that with precision you're working that plan out. And thank you some of the time, Lord, we get a glimpse of that plan and we understand it and Other times we don't and we live by faith. But Father, we're not consistent in any of that. There's so many times that we get distracted and so many times when our passions are in the wrong place, where we spend ourselves and our resources 
on things that we have absolutely no business doing. Too often, Lord, in the privacy of our own thoughts, when we think nobody's listening and nobody's watching, we entertain thoughts that we have no business entertaining. You're our God. You know what we think. You know what we feel. And you know, dear God, you have something much better for us if we would just let your Holy Spirit take over. Please forgive us, Lord, and help us to participate in that forgiveness by turning a new leaf today and committing ourselves to giving your spirit the freedom to help us stay more perfectly focused on you. Father, there are all sorts of challenges that we face. Some of them are predictable and some aren't predictable at all. Sometimes, Lord, we see that things are going to happen and we have an opportunity to look for a resource with you and with others that you put in our life. And sometimes, dear God, those challenges just spring forth and surprise us and have a tendency to overwhelm us. Sometimes there are vocational challenges. Sometimes there are health challenges. Sometimes, dear God, there are challenges in our families. and Sometimes, Lord, there are challenges for us spiritually. And a lot of the time, Lord, we're not up to all of that, but you are. And your hold on us is so complete and so absolute that you encourage us when we need that encouragement so very badly. Help us to keep our perspective. Help us to know, dear God, that you created not only this world, but you created each one of us. And that through Jesus Christ, we belong to you now and forever. And not Satan, not his legion of companions, no one can take us away from you. Give us that sense of security. Father, there are a lot of people that we would like to pray for this morning. We have some in the hospital and some who are recovering from illness. We have others who wear uniforms that put them in danger. Others, dear God, who are serving us in a multitude of other ways in the helping services. Please, dear God, I pray your blessing on them. As you know our heart, you know their heart. And I pray that you'd use their life circumstances to reveal yourself to them anew. Father, help every one of us in this room to know that you love us, that you forgive us, and that you have something far better for us this afternoon and tomorrow. And that you're making that a very real offer to us now. Thanks again for bringing us here. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me. We're going to be studying out of the 20th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles this morning. <clears throat> 
the 20th chapter of Acts, and we're going to begin with the 25th verse. Acts, the 20th chapter, beginning with the 25th verse and studying through the 38th. Please find your place in the Bible and put your finger there. I remind you I use the Revised Standard, the King James. No, no, I I use the really authentic Bible, the New American Standard Bible, NASB. So I encourage you to get a copy of it and bring it with you so you can follow along. Are you getting used to my humor yet? I want you to know that I planned my sermons out. That wasn't in the plan. Once you've found your place, please look up and let me know we're ready to move on. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, what an opportunity you are about to give us once again. For, Father, it's as if you have now walked in and you're standing up here and you're about to speak to us as we read your word. And you're about to talk to us about things that are important in our life and in the life of our church and in the lives of so many others. So please, dear God, give us the ears to hear today and give us the memory to remember. I ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Mona Simpson. Anybody ever heard of Mona? I wouldn't think so. She got a phone call from her brother. His name is Steve. Steve said, would you please hurry and come to me? Mona knew how ill her brother was. So she rushed to his side, and when she got to him, the room that he was in was filled with family. And Steve started to speak from a hospital bed. He spoke affectionately and warmly and gently. And as he talked to his family... Mona said it was as if he had already packed his bags and they were already strapped to the car that was going to carry him away. After he had talked with his family a while and shared his heart, which is a precious time if God gives you that opportunity, night fell and the next morning, Everyone in the room could sense that Steve was coming closer and closer to death. Just before he died, he looked at each member of his family, and Mona said he took time to just look into their eyes and didn't say anything, and he communicated all sorts of things to them just by looking at them individually. And then she said he lifted his head a little and looked beyond them. And three times he said, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. 
and he died. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple Corporation. That comes from a eulogy that was said at his funeral service. People, I have learned, this is true of us and our family, and I think it's true of you probably, and it certainly was true of Steve Jobs' family. They listen very intently to the last words that are said. And they hold to those words. And don't you imagine that family has sat around and said, what do you think Steve saw? What was he looking at? When a man of his extensive wealth and a man with all of the experiences of life that he had had, a man who probably wouldn't surprise very much, some of us have gotten to that point, there's not much that surprises us anymore, and yet he said, oh, wow. As I read the passage this morning, I want you to know something. The Apostle Paul has started sailing back to Jerusalem. He had his bags packed and strapped in the cargo area of that ship. And he says, when I get to Jerusalem, I don't know what I'm going to experience, but I won't be coming back this way again. He stops at the coastal town of Miletus, and he sends for the elders from the city of Ephesus. You remember he'd gone there and for three years lived there in the midst of a town that was totally pagan. He planted a church by the grace of God, and people joined that church, and elders were raised up in that church, just as we're going to vote for some elders today to join others that have already been called. And those elders came down to the coast, and Paul very clearly said, I don't want to take the time to go to Ephesus. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And that was his focus. But he brings the elders together at Miletus for one purpose. He said, I want to give you some final words. I want to talk to you before I leave. And that's what our passage is all about today. I want you to follow along as I read. And please realize, folks, God is about to speak to you and to me. Starting with the 25th verse of Acts 20. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace 
which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You get the sense of the passage? He's saying goodbye to them. And before he leaves, he said, I want to tell you some things that are really important. I want to re-emphasize things that I'm sure he'd already emphasized. And he was talking to the spiritual leadership of the church. But what he says to those of us that he's called into leadership applies to all of us. So listen very carefully. If you look at the passage, verses 25, 26, and 27 are his parting words. And he makes an interesting reference. He says, You all know me. I'm the one who traveled with you and preached the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, a phrase that really means I preach the gospel. But it's interesting when you think about the kingdom of God, because he's conveying a concept to us that's a very, very important concept. He's saying, folks, when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, a radical change takes place, and not only are you destined for eternal life, and nobody can take that away from you, at the same time, at the moment you have accepted him, you now become part of his kingdom. And it starts to happen right now, right here. And you're no longer a part of this world. So start living for the kingdom that you're part of. One of the things that concerns me about myself and might concern you is that so very often I get engulfed by this world we live in, by the stuff by the expectations of other people, by the passions that I have, and just get wrapped up so tightly in this world that I forget to think about the kingdom that I'm part of. We're now pilgrims. We're people who are passing through this world, and we have a destiny already secured for us. And what God wants us to do is to live like participants and citizens of this new kingdom that we're now to, now a part of. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. Do you know that you're a sinner? Hello? Another simple question. Have you asked for the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize as you do that with a sincere heart, you're part of his kingdom. We're now adopted into his family. 
and we're in for the duration. And you and I are going to have an inheritance that we're going to enjoy for eternity as if we were his own son. And his son was raised from the dead. And guess what, folks? You and I are going to be raised from the dead. His son ascended back into his presence. You and I are going into his presence. And his son is enjoying all the benefits of being with the Father, and you and I are going to have those same benefits. We're part of the kingdom. So you see, when Paul says to these elders from Ephesus, you remember I walked around preaching the kingdom of God, he's saying, do you remember all that I said to you? He's trying to bring it to mind. He goes on and says to them, and this is what they didn't want to hear, he said, now the reason I ask you to come down here to Miletus and meet me is I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And I'm not coming back here again. I lived with you for three years. I was integrated into your life, and you and I got to know each other. But I'm not coming back. And that grieved their hearts. They obviously loved this man as a spiritual leader. And then he turns to them and says... I want you to know I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now, if you read just that one verse, it could take you a lot of places, but I want you to look at it for a moment. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. In verse 27, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He explains why he is innocent. And what he's saying is, is that while I was with you and while I was doing my ministry, I never varied from the truth of God. I never held back. I never worried about the consequences of telling the truth. Instead, what I did is I took what God gave to me and I gave it to you. And I let God manage that. It's an interesting day we live in. We live in a day where there's a lot of subjection to the scriptures that's of our choosing. Instead of accepting the whole counsel of God, very often there are things that people in the church just don't believe. And they don't communicate that to other people. Sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. In one of the churches I've served... Someone came to me one day and said, one of the elders' wives was in a conversation after Sunday school this morning, and someone was talking, a lady, about divorcing her husband, that she just had enough. And the elder's wife spoke up and said, I can understand that. You ought to go ahead and get a divorce. Well, folks, that's not the teaching of our Bible. That's not what God has said to us. What he has said to us is that we are to become one for the rest of our life when we make that commitment. And almost with a frown on his face, he says, but if they desert you and if they commit adultery, you have the right, he doesn't say you have to, to get that divorce. So what was being said after Sunday school was not what Scripture teaches. What Paul is saying is, I always told you the truth. It was always based on Scripture. So I am not guilty 
of selective submission to the scriptures. I have always told the truth. I know for myself and for you, there are times when we're in the Word and times that we're not as faithful with the Word. Interesting thing about the Bible, if you read it in the morning and if you read it during the day and if you pray over it and think about it, it affects your mind. And you start to look at life differently. You start to understand God differently. And you get in the groove with Him and you start to understand what He's doing and why He's doing it. But if you're never in the Word, if you hold yourself back and you make all kinds of excuses for not studying the Word, your mind is not being renewed. And you do not know the truth of Scripture. Now it's left up to you to figure it all out by yourself. Whoa, that doesn't work. Haven't you tried that? It doesn't work. We need God's help. So what Paul is saying is, I'm innocent of the blood of other people. I know the word of God and I have conveyed it in truth to you all. If you look down at 28 through 31, you'll see a warning. And I think you could spend an entire sermon or Sunday school class and much more on just this warning. He says, I want you to watch out for yourself and I want you to watch out for the people in the church. And he's talking to the elders, but he's talking to you also. And he's saying, I want you to watch out because there are all sorts of dangers. You know how you watch out for yourself? You just don't go where you're not supposed to go. You just don't get involved in things you should not be involved in. And you do know the difference if you're a believer. Instead, you say, as a matter of personal discipline, that wouldn't please God, and that's not where I'm going. And when you find yourself physically or mentally or spiritually someplace you don't belong, you stop and say, thank you, Father, for reminding me I don't belong here. And I'm getting out of here. And you shut it down. You know where sin comes from? Theologically from Satan. But do you know where sin comes from? You don't just sin. You don't just go steal something. or You don't just say something that's wrong. It starts right here. It starts in our minds. And we think about it. And we build up a case of why it's okay to do it. And when we get through rationalizing why it's okay to do it, then we test it and we reach out and touch it. And if it doesn't burn or hurt us, we reach out more frequently. And then after a while, we take hold of it and we think we can master this thing. And what we're doing is being drawn in, enticed into sin that's going to dominate our life. So often going to wreck our life. So often going to hurt the very people we love. It starts right here. So how do you watch yourself? Paul's saying to the elders of the church, it starts with you guys. And the elders of the church need to be self-disciplined and not let it get in your head. Instead, fill your head with the word which will renew you. And he's saying the same thing to all of us. Secondly, he says to the elders, you've got to watch over the church. 
Literally, elders of the church are overseers. They have a responsibility to take care of the flock that is entrusted to them. So they need to be willing to sometimes do the hard thing. Sometimes they need to call out and say, don't go there. Don't do that. That won't please God and it won't work. You need to pray for your elders and for your pastoral staff that we'll have the courage to gently and lovingly tell the truth. And our church will be stronger if you'll pray for the leadership and if we'll be faithful and guard over the flock. Do you understand? We need your prayers. I want you to know how many times have you heard me say to you at the back door, when you tell me what a wonderful sermon it is, it's okay to say that. (laughs) And I say to you, pray for me. None of us give God much to work with. Not a one of us. We need his help, and you need to pray to that end. And then we are one body, and we will be protected. So be, be careful and pray. When I think about a flock, I had an occasion. Linda and I some years ago were in Jerusalem, and I looked at a hotel room right downtown Jerusalem, And there was a lot filled with nothing but rocks next to our hotel. I think they grow rocks there. They're everywhere. And I looked out of the window, and there were two shepherds, and there were probably 20 or 22 sheep. And I looked at them, and one was sitting on one side of the lot, and one was sitting on the other, and the sheep were trying to find some grass in between those rocks. And I thought to myself, what a vivid picture of being a shepherd. The shepherd lives with the sheep. The shepherd is so connected to the sheep that the shepherd is experiencing the weather like the sheep. He's out there trying to help them find water and help them find grass to feed on. He's one with them. And what God is calling the elders of our church to do, teaching, and ruling, ministers and lay, what he's calling us to do is to love you and for you to love us that together we might help take care of you. It's so simple. If I call you sometime and say, hey, I missed you in church, don't get offended. It's because I care about you and I didn't see you and I want to know that you're okay. If one of our elders calls or one of our deacons, understand. That's that whole flock concept working itself out in real life. If you look on down in that same passage, he says, you didn't elect yourself an elder, and we're not about to elect elders. What we're about to do is to help ratify what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit's involved in this whole process of calling men to office in his church. And the way the Holy Spirit does that is he gives some particular spiritual gifts that are gifts that can be used by elders. He then causes a fermenting of that desire in the heart of the person. He puts that person before you and you affirm and you say, yes, 
I think this person has the spiritual gifts, and I think they're called by God. And they become officers of the church. But you see, it's the same thing with Sunday school teachers and with people who are in other roles of leadership in the church. That same process is at work. And it's not because we choose to do this in the sense of, I want attention or I want a position of authority. It's simply that before the foundation of the world, God said, I'm going to make you an elder. And when the right time comes, that person becomes the spiritual leader in the church. And it's nothing that anybody should ever brag about. It's a responsibility, and it's a wonderful honor that is given, not earned. And it's given by God. He goes one step further, and he says to the elders, now that I've told you that God's in control of all this, I want you to know when I leave, something really bad's going to happen. Savage wolves. That's pretty much a word picture of what's about to happen. Savage wolves are going to come in among you. And when those savage wolves come in, some of them are going to come from the outside and they're going to attack and they're going to try to tear down all the basic tenets of what you believe and they're going to try to get you to think in a way that's not a healthy way and not biblical. They're going to entice you and they're going to tempt you. And what they want to do is destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan hadn't gotten it yet, folks. He's already defeated. And when Jesus comes again, we're going to see the completion of that when he takes Satan and throws him in a pit for eternity, and that's the end of Satan. But Satan didn't get that memo. So Satan is fighting as if he can win today. And you and I are the object of his wrath. Make no mistake, there's a spiritual war going on. And it's going to come to an end when Jesus returns. He also warns us about the wolves inside the church. Isn't that a shame? People you fall in love with, people you care about, people you enjoy. And every now and then you realize they have a purpose. And their purpose is to lead us astray. If you hear somebody talking about a doctrine that is not part of orthodoxy, not what the church has taught all of these thousands of years, know that you're hearing untruth. You be discerning and know that. And don't listen to it. Because there are people who will come into our midst and in the midst of every church and try to teach us something other than what this Bible has taught us all these many years. There's some people who will get into our midst. And Scripture speaks in a number of different places about it. And they will do things like talk about other people, tell half-truths about other people. And what happens when we start to gossip and we start to talk about things we shouldn't be talking about is we hurt other people. I know you've had this experience, and so have I. You get home and you can't remember who you told what. 
Well, if you told something that wasn't accurate and you want to go back and fix it, you can't remember who you told. But you've still done the damage. And that begins to tear the church apart. And that's not what God wants for us as individuals or for his church. So, my friends, be self-disciplined. Say no to yourself. Know when to say, don't speak. You know how hard that is for a preacher? Don't speak. Don't speak unless it's edifying. Don't speak unless it's building up. Don't speak unless it's an encouragement. Don't speak unless it's a blessing to somebody else. I read that somewhere. And it's so very true. So what Paul is saying is, I'm about to leave you all, but I want you to know there's some dangers. And you need to know about those dangers. After the warning, he says, let me tell you about my personal experience. Let me give you a personal example. And he mentions several things. He says, first of all, I commend you elders to God and to his words of grace. It's interesting. He puts those two things together. The elders of your church need to be commended to God and need to be bonded with him on a daily basis to be effective in what they do. But he says also, I want them to be thinking about the words of grace. This is all a grace experience. Have you realized that? This isn't about what you do. It's about what he's doing for us that we didn't deserve. It's how he loves us and how he reaches out to us and how he takes us while we're yet sinners and folds us into a relationship with him. And he's saying to the elders, don't you forget the essence of all this. It's all about grace. It's not about works. Oh, there's a time for works. And he starts to talk about it almost in the next breath. But the time for works is the way to say thank you for the grace that's been shown to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. 8 and 9 explain by grace we've been saved through faith, not of our own doing, so don't boast about it. What's 10 say? And then be about doing the good works that he had planned before the foundation of the world. And why do we do the good works? We do them to say, thank you, Lord. Thanks for your grace and thank you for loving me. He says a fascinating thing. He says, if you do these things, as Paul has tried to, it'll build you up. And you'll realize the inheritance that God has for you. How many places do we look for our significance? How many different places do we look to have security? How much do you have to have to be secure? You can't get enough. You can't. Our security, our significance comes from God. Then no matter what happens, you're secure. And you can be at peace. So if you start to feel a little wavery and not quite feel secure, stop and take an inventory and say, am I talking to the Lord enough? Am I reading his word enough? Am I walking with him? Because something's happening and it shouldn't be happening. And then no matter what's going on around you, that peace and that security will take over. 
and you'll feel God's presence. Paul says, I've never asked anybody to take care of me. He said, my example to you as elders is, I've always paid my own way, and I've even paid the way of the folks who are traveling with me and work with me. He was a tent maker and supported his own ministry. That makes most of us preachers very nervous. Every time I read this passage, it makes me nervous. But Paul is saying, I'm not entitled to anything. He's got it right. You and I are not entitled to anything. And we need to get that concept out of our heads. By grace. Through hard work. We benefit. And then Paul says, Jesus told us why it's that way. It's because he wants us to help other people. He doesn't want us to be the recipient as a way of life. He wants us to help other people as a way of life. That's not to say there aren't times when a brother or sister should come alongside another brother or sister and help out. But the whole intention is to get us back on our feet so we can then help other people. It's not to spend the rest of our life being entitled to something we're not entitled to. If you hear a political connotation in that, it was very intentional. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for us to retire from this world and not be a participant. God didn't make us to do that. Maybe the kind of work we do changes, and rightly so. But you and I need to be engaged with other people, and we need to help other people in a meaningful way. If you look at the last few verses, 36 through 38, you see how he concludes. Paul's about to walk away and get on that ship, and he turns to these elders, and he drops on his knees, and don't you think they didn't drop on their knees? And he starts to pray with them. Doesn't that tell you volumes about what's going on inside his heart? And then what do they do? They begin to show a healthy emotion. Please don't ever poke fun at a person who genuinely weeps. God doesn't want us to walk around crying all the time. But there's a time when male and female alike use tear ducts. And guys, I promise you, if he didn't want you to cry occasionally, he wouldn't equip you with tear ducts. There's a time and a place for that. And what he is doing is these elders are pouring out their heart. And they don't want to see Paul leave. But they respect what God's doing in his life, and they walk him down to the ship, and he gets on the ship to sail away, and they'll never see his face again. What kind of elders are you going to elect? I want elders who will get on their knees. I want elders who have ears to listen and will learn from Scripture and will listen to God. What kind of elders do you want? I want an elder who can cry at the appropriate time. What kind of elder do you want? 
You want somebody who has spiritual character. Somebody you can trust and rely on. And somebody you're going to pray for and somebody you're going to support. And you know what happens when we do that? We have one awesome church because we're doing what he wants us to do. Do you understand? Let's pray together. I wonder what you had in that sermon and in that passage for each of us, Lord. Maybe not all of the points, but certainly at least one. You brought us here this morning, and you brought us here to talk with us and to encourage us and to build us up. So I pray that whatever it is that you had for us individually won't get away from us. But through the power of your Holy Spirit, we'll remember. And we'll be encouraged to apply it in our daily lives. Thank you, Father, for letting us be in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to call our congregational meeting to order. If you are visiting with us and have other plans, then we would excuse you. But if not, we'd love for you to stay. As I call the...